When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Welcome to the Attention Deficit Disorder Expert Podcast Series by Attitude Magazine. I am Stuart Jordan, and welcome to Attitude Magazine's weekly ADHD Experts webinar broadcast. Today, we are talking about auditory processing disorder in children, what it is, how to recognize it, and how it differs from ADHD. Our guest today is Lois Heyman, a speech and language pathologist with over 30 years experience working with children with listening language hearing and learning challenges and their parents. Lois is the author of The Sound of Hope, Recognizing, Coping with, and Treating Your Child's Auditory Processing Disorder. Some of topics today to be included will be what is auditory processing disorder, how to recognize it, how it gets diagnosed, the effects and how it differs from ADHD as well as how to treat it. Before we begin, I would like to extend a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's webinar, the sponsors allow us to be able to present these at no cost and to make the replays available on our website. Today's webinar is sponsored by Play Attention. Play Attention is the only brain training system that combines both advanced neurofeedback and cognitive training to effectively improve attention, behavior, and learning skills in children and adults with ADHD. Play Attention can help people with ADHD improve skills and reach their full potential. And especially notable today, Play Attention has three auditory processing activities available integrated with superior attention training. Uh, for more information, please visit www.playattention.com. I'd like to turn this over to Lois for the presentation, and we'll be back a little bit later to address your questions. Thank you, Stuart, so much, and I um, thank Attitude Magazine for allowing me this opportunity to speak to all of you today about a subject that's near and dear to my heart, which is auditory processing disorder in children and how to differentially diagnose it and, um, and diagnose it and show the differences between different types of disorders, one of those being ADHD. So I'm going to, um, you all see who I am and what I've been doing. And so I want to jump right into the subject, which is auditory processing disorder and what is it? And when um, there's so much out there about auditory processing disorder that is myth or it's wishful thinking. And so I really want to explain to all of you what auditory processing disorder really is and who can diagnose it and what it looks like um, when our children are displaying certain characteristics. So APD is a, a diagnosis which encompasses three areas of ability or disability. Um, the initial one, as you see on your slide, is the um, analysis of the auditory signal, the information coming in through the ears, the ears that hear perfectly normally, 
and then sends the information up through the pathways. And we're going to be looking at a diagram later that shows us the traveling of sound from the ear to the brain. And so what we're looking at are these auditory pathways. And when the auditory signal is traveling, that it's discriminating the acoustic characteristics of the sound received. So what are those sounds and how do the sounds sound differently? So how is an S sound different from a B sound B? Um, and so how does that happen and how is that transferred up to the from the ear to the brain? So for instance, the processing of the sounds cat, the child would be hearing k, a, and having to send those up correctly to the brain to be, then be blended into the word cat, which would then be transferred into language. The second area or the second level of processing involves the analysis of the linguistic phoneme and aspects of the auditory signal. So what are those sounds at? What would they then represent? And then how do we understand the relationship between the sound and the word that it makes? So an example is that when we blend the sounds together to form the word cat, going from cat to then the word cat, it is then stored as a word with meaning. And we make a place in our brain in very simplistic terms, uh, usually on the left side of the brain uh, for most individuals. The sounds then are then blended and stored as the word cat. And so in order to be able to do that, we're now adding in the aspects of auditory memory and auditory sequential memory. Our brain has to understand that those sounds come in a certain sequence, and when they're sequenced that way, it is a word, it is cat, and we have to leave it there so that now we can add meaning to that word cat, which we now heard and analyzed through our auditory system. The third level of processing relies heavily on the meaning of language. So this is where we now form a picture in our brain of the word cat. Not only the C-A-T, which comes later when we learn to read, but very early in life, we start associating that the sounds of cat to that picture of that cat, the actual cat, or the furry thing running around on the living room floor that we point to, that a parent points to, or a caregiver points to, and says, that's a cat. And now the child is taking that information auditorily and language, and we call that auditory cohesion. So what actually happens in that space for cat, that those sounds at that makes cat, we now add semantic features such as pointy ears, meow, purr, four legs, tail, furry, soft paws, claws, and the list goes on and on and on that we are adding richness to the category of the word cat. And the child is using that to store the information appropriately so they can then go in and reach for that word cat or understand that word cat when the teacher or an adult or a peer is talking and uses that word cat. And this happens for all the sounds of speech and all the words that the child is learning in their lexicon or their personal dictionary. So the first aspect is 
analyzed and it is tested by an audiologist, hopefully a pediatric audiologist, and only certain audiologists do the testing that's necessary to diagnose auditory processing disorder. And that is the CAP test, Central Auditory Processing Test, that an audiologist would give to see if the sounds were being sent up along the pathways accurately and appropriately. The speech-language pathologist would be the therapist that, that would then take that information and see how is the child storing that auditory information as language. And so a typical speech-language therapist would have certain tools available and then would look at the child a different way if we were suspecting auditory processing disorder or if an audiologist had diagnosed an auditory processing disorder. So that's a brief discussion of what actually happens when we have to process sound. Um, so if any one of those areas that I talked about, the three areas, are disturbed. If the signal is disturbed in any way in that processing, there's a miscomprehension of what was said. So let me give you a little example of what this would look like for a child. Let's first look at a preschool child sitting in the circle time in preschool. Let's say they're four years old. And the teacher says, tomorrow we're going to read the book Caps for Sale. And the children just hear that, and the next day the teacher takes out the book, shows the picture, does everything she's supposed to do, she or he's supposed to do, and then starts reading the book. Our child, who is having difficulty, might say out loud or raise their hand and say, where are the cats, C-A-T-S, when the word, of course, in the story was caps. So what the child is doing is having difficulty hearing that sound. Two reasons for that could be one, that they don't have the word cap in their lexicon, so they naturally went to the word cat, or they misheard it or misprocessed that word. If that happens, what happens for that child? Over the course of that story or any other story, they may not be hearing exactly what the teacher is saying accurately because of the way that they're processing the sounds. Now they don't understand what's going on. They've miscomprehended. And what does the child do when they miscomprehend? Some children will sit and just sit and still listen to the story. But many, many, or most of the children have two choices. They will either act out, do something that takes their attention away from what they don't understand, roll around in the floor, poke their neighbors, start talking, or they might withdraw and absolutely not pay attention at all and maybe daydream or, or um, lose concentration and attention. So all of a sudden, we start seeing a child that may be mishearing, but their reaction or their behavior might look like a symptom of ADHD or ADD. So right away in preschool, especially, we start seeing kids being judged by possibly their behavior or their symptoms, but where the actual difficulty for them may not be in attention, but in attention because of the way they're mishearing what they've understood, what they've heard, and therefore misunderstand. We can do the same thing with a possibly a third grade student. What would this look like for them? So possibly they're sitting there listening to the teacher and the teacher says the sentence and then the girl went to bed, B-E-D. Um, she doesn't say B-E-D, but that's the word. And so the 
our child is sitting there and thinks the teacher said, and then the girl went to dead, D-E-A-D. Well, they automatically know that doesn't make sense for everything they've been listening to. And so they stop to make a repair. So they think, oh, she's talking about pajamas and she's talking about nighttime. It must be bed. So that's great. The child has stopped, made a repair, realizes they misheard something. And not all children will do that. But for many children, they will stop and make a repair. But what has the teacher been doing while the child is listening and making their repair? The teacher continues to talk. And now, and they should, and now the child has missed two to three words of what the teacher was saying. Now they have to try to catch up and fill in what they missed. And very often that's very, very difficult or impossible. And so now they've miscomprehended what was said and they're going to lose attention. So once again, what will their behavior look like? What will they be doing because they missed the meaning of what was said because they missed the sounds? So very often misunderstanding can lead to behavior and that behavior very often can be misinterpreted as attentional rather than auditory. So what does, when we're looking at children and we're trying to recognize what is auditory processing disorder, these are some of the symptoms that we might be seeing that would lead us to think, does my child need to be evaluated for this. So they may be saying, huh, and what often, and that means asking for clarification or not being able to quite understand what was said in the time it took to receive that information. The child may have difficulty following multi-step directions. So children by the age of three should be able to follow three-step simple directions. Go upstairs, put on your pajamas, and get me your, a book. They should be able to follow that. I have many children that I work with, of course, that are 10 years old and can't follow a three-step direction. Um, and so what is that? And when a child has difficulty following multi-step directions, um, it may be because of their auditory memory and their auditory sequential memory, being able to hold on to that auditory information in that order for over time. Uh, the child may have difficulty hearing in noisy environments. Many, many, many children with auditory processing disorder have difficulty with what's called auditory figure ground, which is listening and hearing in noisy environments. Mishears or uh, sounds or words. So the words are not clearly interpreted by that auditory system and therefore misunderstood. Language development may be delayed in these children because they're not receiving the appropriate auditory information turning into language information. The child may be distracted and, I'm sorry, distracted and inattentive. And we see that for an APD, that distraction or inattentiveness is due to the lack of auditorily processing the information correctly. Um, they may have poor social skills because they're misreading language signals, and so they can't respond appropriately to what they're hearing. Um, they may have difficulty learning to read because they can't um, organize sound-symbol relationships because of not hearing or discriminating sounds correctly.
They may have poor spelling because, again, for that discrimination of sounds and being able to coordinate what's the sound with the grapheme of the letter that they have to coordinate that with. And the child may be seeming to be missing information. Very often, parents will describe the child as being you know, caught in the headlights, a deer caught in the headlights. They can't quite get what was being said. Um, who can diagnose APD? This is, this is a big um, um, misconception in our, um, in our culture. It is not the pediatrician. It is not the psychologist, although I get many, many psychology reports, neuropsychologist reports that says a child has auditory processing disorder. It's not even the speech-language pathologist, somebody like me. It's not the teacher. It's not your next-door neighbor. And it's only the pediatric audiologist because they are the only one that can test the information going from the ear to the brain through the CAP test, which is a test in a um, soundproof booth with headphones on. So others can, any of these other people, the pediatrician, psychologist, etc., can refer you to an audiologist if you suspect that there is a question of APD. But that is the only professional that can actually diagnose an auditory processing disorder. Um, so very quickly, I want you just to look at this schematic, which shows us the different aspects of auditory processing. What are the building blocks? And this is set up like a hierarchy. So anything below is going to affect anything above. So we see when we're talking about ADD and ADHD, we see right away an APD, we see right away that auditory attention is the basis of being able to attend and learn auditorily these other aspects. So auditory attention is the first thing we look at. This next row is what the audiologist tests, auditory figure ground, listening and noise, auditory discrimination of sounds, temporal information, hearing the pitch differentials, auditory closure, filling in when we've missed something, and binaural integration and separation when the two ears need to be working together. The speech-language pathologist would be looking at auditory memory, auditory sequential memory, the reading skills of phonological segmentation, phonological blending, and um, the top of this is oral cohesion, and this is language. In order to develop language appropriately, the child has to be able to have all of these other blocks in order and appropriate for their age and development to be able to adequately do oral cohesion. I want to just show you a picture of the ear. So we look at the first level of auditory input is the ear, the sound going into the ear, and the information going to where that circle is, which is the eighth cranial nerve. The sound then goes from if we look at the left side of our um, diagram, we see the speech sounds going in. We see the cochlea and the eighth cranial nerve there on that left side. And then the information travels from the left side up to the right auditory cortex. And the right ear is doing the same thing. The information is then shared across the top which is of the brain, which is called the corpus callosum. And that information goes back and forth for us to adequately understand what the auditory signal is. So these are the auditory pathways and the ones that the audiologist would test. Um, 
So let's think about the effects of um, APD for many children living with an auditory processing issue. It's like trying to listen on a cell phone. This isn't exactly what it is, but this is what you can imagine it's like with um, the signal cutting in and out because they're not hearing certain sounds or misinterpreting certain sounds. This then can cause difficulty in maintaining attention. The child has difficulty as, as, um, accessing auditory information due to a faulty or delayed signal. For instance, difficulty listening and noise. When able to receive clear and accurate auditory information, this child is able to maintain focus and attention. So this is really important when we think about the differences between APD or ADD, ADHD. If the child with APD is receiving the auditory information accurately, then attention and focus should not be a problem. And so we would give a child that's having, let's say, auditory difficulty listening and noise, and an FM would be something where the teacher wears a microphone, the child wears a receiver, and the information from the teacher directly to their ear goes over noise and, um, and uh, distance. The child then has accurate information coming in and therefore should be able to attend and not lose focus. So just to know for APD, um, the criteria for testing for the CAP test is age seven, that there is partial testing or screening for auditory processing disorder between the ages of five to seven. And the reasons that this is the age that the testing begins is because the, the pathways are only ready to be tested in the information that we have to get from them at these ages developmentally. Um, the child has to be able to sit for the test. And the test takes about two hours to administer for a seven and above and about an hour for the five to seven-year-old. And part of the test that can be out for a seven-year-old, above a seven-year-old, part of the test that can be given by the audiologist is called the continuous performance test. And if that test is given, that is a very good diagnostic prognosticator of does the child have attention problems versus does the child have auditory processing problems. So there is a differential diagnosis that can be made by the audiologist if he or she gives this continuous performance test. It gives us a lot of information about the child's ability to attend. Um, and the tests given by the speech language pathologist for auditory information are usually given for the children four years old and up. So let's, um, so here's the real crux of our, um, of our looking at this today and trying to compare what we see when we see a child um, with APD versus when we see a child with ADHD or ADD. And it is very difficult to pull these apart. And the other reason it's very difficult is because very often a child has both and that these two conditions can coexist. So we'll see a slide later with the statistic of 60% of children with diagnosed with APD, auditory processing disorder, has that disorder and it coexists with something else. So we'll look at what those something else's can be. So APD is a standalone disorder only 40% of the time, but it's important to diagnose APD and differentiate it from any other existing uh, condition because we can treat APD in a therapeutic intervention setting.
And so it's important to know what part of it is auditory versus what part of it is attentional. So let's look first at ADHD, and I'm sure you would have many more symptoms that you could add to my list, um, but let's look at may fail to pay close attention. Well, APD, the child may appear to lose attention. ADHD may be easily distracted. Same thing for APD, may appear not to listen when spoken to. So very often we have a condition where we call the child's name, call the child's name, and the child does not respond. Is that because attentionally they're not there or is it because they did not receive that auditory information? Um, the child may withdraw or act out with behavioral issues because of inattentive um, behavior. And the same, like I explained before, for APD, the child may withdraw or act out behaviorally because they didn't understand what they were hearing or listening to. Um, for ADHD, the child may make careless mistakes in school, work, or activities. And for the child with just APD, they may mishear and interpret what was said and therefore make mistakes, but it's not usually careless mistakes because they weren't paying attention or, or unable to pay attention to that. Um, for ADHD, may not follow through on instructions, um, They, but for a child with APD, very often they'll ask for repetition or clarifications because they know they didn't understand what they were supposed to do. Um, a child with ADHD may avoid or dislike tasks that require sustained mental effort, like doing their homework. And that usually is not the case for a child with APD if they have heard and understood what they're supposed to do. Um, but the child with APD may have speech and or language deficits. Child with ADHD tend to have speech language development on peer with their peer uh, on par with their peers. So that's usually not a um, outcome of ADHD, but it definitely can be an outcome of APD. Uh, the child with APD may have reading, reading comprehension, and spelling difficulties because of those auditory difficulties. Um, the ADHD. The diagnosis is usually made by a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and the APD evaluation is made only by an audiologist, but with complementary and supplementary testing should be done by a speech-language pathologist in order to plan for treatment of care. So can APD look like ADHD and vice versa? Absolutely. But we have to remember that auditory processing disorder impacts the way a child processes sound. If the child can't de correctly detect, discriminate, identify, or comprehend what the teacher's saying, then um, attention will be compromised, work may not be completed, and directions may not be followed. Um, so here's that interesting statistic that I spoke about before. APD coexists with other disorders 60% of the time. APD often coexists with diagnoses of ADD, ADHD, sensory integration disorder, visual processing disorder, and executive function deficits. Very often, um, it is a coexisting condition. APD is a coexisting condition with our sensory integration disorder and our visual processing because it's part of our sensory system where our ADD and our ADHD and executive functionings are part of a different system, neurological system. Um, but this overlap of these different 
um, diagnoses and disorders make differential diagnosis difficult. And that's, um, but we must make a differential diagnosis to be able to accurately intervene with the child and their set of um, difficulties. So in my practice, have I diagnosed um, or been part of the diagnosis with the audiologist of children with APD and ADD and ADHD? Yes. Have I been um, part of a um, situation where their child did not, even though diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, it turns out that underneath that diagnosis was really APD, auditory difficulties? Yes. So it's very, very important for us to know what we're talking about and what we're seeing and what we're looking at and going to the proper professionals to find exactly where our child's dis, um, disorders overlap or their deficits are affecting their um, social and academic interactions. After intervention for APD, after diagnosis, the treatment would be by a speech-language pathologist. Accommodations and modifications in school would be made, and um, there would be the possible use of an FM if that was recommended by the um, audiologist. I, that's the end of my um, presentation for today, because I know that there's probably lots and lots of questions. This is my book, The Sound of Hope, Recognizing, Treating, and Coping with Your Child's Auditory Processing Disorder. In the book, I describe what an auditory processing disorder is, um, and it's written for parents and professionals, but mostly for parents. In the second part of the book, talks about exercises parents can do at home to build auditory abilities in children under the age of eight. Okay, okay I'm ready. Lois, thank yes. you. That was great. And we have just lots of questions I'm coming sure. in. Uh, and so want to try and get to the, the, as many as we can. Uh, <clears throat> one quick question that just is flying in is what is an FM? Okay, I'll explain the FM again. So FM is um, when a child is having difficulty listening in noise. It means the signal is not coming to them directly and loud enough in a way that it goes over the noise. So children with auditory processing disorder may be able to listen in quiet, but the noise, when even if it's soft, is amplified by their ears in a way that makes them unable to hear what the teacher is saying. So an FM is something the audiologist would recommend for the child. The teacher wears a little microphone. They wear it around their neck, and that microphone picks up exactly all the words of what the teacher is saying. The child wears a receiver. The receiver is attached to the child either one ear or two ears. It looks like a tiny hearing aid. And the child, when wearing that, is getting the FM signal, meaning it's traveling wireless through the air, of what the teacher is saying to everybody else in the class, but it's being amplified by a few decibels, the way we measure sound, loudness of sound, and it's going directly to the child's ear. So if a child is coughing or moving their feet next to them or wrestling paper, that is not going to mask what the teacher is saying for that child. So the FM gives them access to what the teacher is saying louder and more directly. And that's called an FM. Okay. Thank you. 
very another very quick one is how common is it for APD to be undiagnosed? I, I will tell you that I don't have a statistical number. Um, you know, diagnosis of APD, they say that APD exists, um, and this is old research. Not a lot of new research has been done. Um, anywhere, I've seen it anywhere from um, 5 to 12% of children have auditory processing disorder, diagnosed or undiagnosed, uh, but that would be the um, statistic that we would be working with. Having auditory difficulties that may not be auditory processing disorder, I think, and this is just my opinion, we see that in at least 20% of children, um, inattentiveness due to auditory input difficulties. Um, and so, um, but undiagnosed, I think there's a vast, vast number of children that have auditory processing disorder or auditory dysfunction that are not being diagnosed, not being recognized and not being diagnosed. Okay. Now, one of the questions that just came in was asking to clarify what the difference is between a language processing problem and APD. Is there sure. a difference? Yes, there's a great question. So the difference is that when we're looking at the auditory system, we're looking at APD, we're looking at the auditory system, how the sounds go in, both through the ear for hearing, and then how the sounds are processed from the ear to the brain. Once the information gets to the brain, it is then processed into language. So my example of the word cat would give us, would, I'd bring us back to that. Hearing the sounds at for a cat is part of the auditory system, receiving that information, processing it as at in order as the word cat and recognizing what you've heard as that word cat is part of the auditory system, storing it and now adding all the information to understanding about a cat and all the vocabulary that has to go involved in that is language processing, how we process what we've heard into language. So there's definitely a continuum from auditory input into language input. And of course, we're talking here about language oral language, not, not sign language or any of the other types of ways that people can communicate. We're only talking about the development of language processing as far as oral language um, information. So I see it as a continuum and we, we will have, it goes to, to pr stand to prove that we will have audit language processing problems if we have auditory processing problems, but we can have a language processing problem without an auditory processing problem because the dysfunction for a pure language processing difficulty would be at the place of where it gets turned into language, not how the information was received. Okay. Now, there are a number of, <clears throat> of questions about diagnosis, and mm -hmm. there are a number of questions about age of the child. So I guess one one question that stood out was, do you, is there an age beyond which it is difficult to 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 treat if it hasn't been identified previously. There are a couple of questions. So, what happens yeah. if I've got a twelve-year-old, or uh, that you know, it, I think there's a problem, but it hasn't been diagnosed. 
Okay, great question. So, um, you know, there's a lower limit for being able to do the diagnosis because of, of development, like I explained, of the uh, pathway. So seven and screening at five to seven. But as far as the upper range, we can diagnose auditory processing disorder in children up till the age of, of course, 18, if we, we consider that still childhood. And then we can, dis, uh, we can diagnose this in adults. The audiologist has the test available to be able to diagnose auditory processing uh, disorder in children and adults. As far as um, the pathways are concerned, the pathways are continually developing and becoming stronger and more um, facile from the ages of, from birth until the age of about 12 or 13. Um, so that means that there are changes and there's um, definitely a lot of plasticity in those pathways to be able to make changes through the intervention that we would um, to, to uh, supply for that child. But we have treated children in, in the clinic that I've worked in, the, um, we've treated children from ages up till the ages of 18. Once the child the person is an adult, we change the intervention from direct interventions for skills to more management of the situation. But we can teach skills and teach processing um, more accurate and appropriate processing for children and 12 years old is not too young to diagnose and begin the therapy. You know, usually from my, from my um, experience, children usually start being labeled or diagnosed or, or there's a question about them between the um, grades of third grade to about seventh grade is where the bulk of the kids that get referred to me, that's about the ages because that's where we start seeing that once we start taking away the visuals in the classroom, once the, the um, language goes from um, goes from concrete to more abstract. Once we add humor, sarcasm, all things that depend on auditory interpretation of information, that's where we see children starting to break down. And so we start seeing that bulk of kids really coming in between the ages of 8 and 12. But can we diagnose a child at 15 and still help them? Yes. Okay, well, that <clears throat> someone just asked that question. I have a student that is 15, suspected, uh, and was told that it was useless to diagnose at this point. I would uh, disagree with that. I would disagree with that. Um, I think that the audiologist definitely can diagnose, and I think that would be probably what, what are we going to do, but there are so many interventions available, and we have things that are computer-based that build auditory skills, and then we have um, auditory language therapy, which is the therapy that I do, which definitely can work for that age child. So um, I would disagree that there's nothing you can do. Okay, let's talk about the younger Mm -hmm. the the lower age group there are a couple there are a number of questions and comments that, that I've been seeing coming in um, there's one that says how absolute is the age of seven and what is that based on but then there are also a number of comments from people that are saying that you know they, either their child or they've observed they they work with children and observe what they appears to be signs of the problem well before they they reach the age of seven 
Yes, and I, I absolutely agree with you, and that's why I've written, my book is written for children under the ages of eight, because we are looking at kids, and we are definitely seeing signs. We are definitely seeing that there are, are difficulties. Um, so the, the truth is that the speech-language pathologists can look at the child. They can't diagnose and call it auditory processing disorder because that can only be diagnosed by the audiologist. But we could be looking at children that we know are having auditory and auditory-to-language difficulties, and a speech-language pathologist can say there are signs of this and in these areas. And one of the tests that we use as speech-language pathologists or can use really can start looking at these skills at age four. So we can, we can use a number of different kinds of diagnostic tests to get at the fact that the child is having difficulty with step directions. The child is having difficulty with repeating back a longer sentence. The child is having difficulty hearing the differences between certain sounds. So we can find those things as speech-language pathologists, and we can start working with them, and I highly recommend that happen. But the absolute diagnosis of what it is and looking at the pathways can not be done till age seven because of the development of the pathways and the abilities of the test to find the function or dysfunction. Between, like I said, between the ages of five and seven, the audiologist has a test called the SCAN3, and that is a screening device for auditory processing disorder, and that looks at the areas that we can look at at age five, um, and, and that's a very useful test for the interventionist that's then going to plan therapy, knowing because one of the things that they can look at very early at age five is listening and noise. And if that's a problem, that can be handled therapeutically, and it can also be handled with a device like the FM if, if the audiologist feels that it would be appropriate. Okay. Uh, one couple of people have written and asked, will a child outgrow APD? It's such an interesting um, question. So what we know is that a child at age seven or eight could be diagnosed with APD. And they, we can find those dysfunction, uh, dysfunctions in their pathways. Um, and then they may grow out of certain aspects of that difficulty, right? They may grow out of it because they're, they're, they might have what we call immature pathways, and those pathways may um, start improving on their own. Um, and so we would see that. Here's the problem with waiting it out, and I've had a number of parents say to me, should we just wait it out and see if it changes? The answer to that would definitely be no, because intervention can help them and they're learning language and they're sitting in school now. So at age seven, at age eight, at age nine. So waiting to see what will happen is not, I think, an appropriate way to um, a pathway to success in school and in life socially. Um, but and what we've seen is that certain things will get better on their own, but if a child truly has auditory processing disorder, and, you know, there's a battery of tests that are given for auditory processing disorder, the child has to fail two of them to be able to, for the diagnostician to say they have an auditory processing disorder. Well, what about that one? What if the only one of the areas is not functioning well. They don't get the diagnosis of auditory processing disorder, but that one might be listening and noise, or that one might be uh, discrimination. And so that 
dysfunction is still going to affect language development and attention um, to task. So, so knowing where the breakdowns are and starting intervention as soon as we know it is the best plan of action, in my opinion. There are a couple of people who have asked about the connection between physical problems uh, that and whether there's a connection between if you have a child that has had holes in their eardrum, ear mm -hmm. canal issues, yep. physical problems like that, and APD. Yes. So um, we cannot talk. So one of the things when we do a checklist of um, the background of the child, when we're finding out, we will, fi we will find that one of the most um, common um, a, a correlation between a physical problem and APD would be chronic ear infections. And chronic ear infections can have an effect on language development because during the time, usually um, chronic ear infections are happening between the ages of two and four. And that's exact, and, and it could be earlier, it could be later, but that's the bulk of them. And that's when the child is learning language. So if the child has an ear infection and the, the, um, the, the um, infection is sitting in the middle ear, that means that it's not allowing certain sounds in or consistency of sound. So sometimes if I take my example of the word cat, sometimes the child's hearing cat, sometimes they're hearing at, sometimes they're hearing cat, they're not storing it appropriately the way the child without an ear infection um, is, is storing it. So that's going to affect the way the child has heard it and stored it and will affect that language processing because of auditory difficulties. So we see a huge correlation between children that have auditory um, ear infections, chronic ear infections, otitis media is what we call it, and whether they've been resolved through um, medication or through tubes, all of those things can have an impact on the auditory um, uh, receiving the auditory information and interpreting it correctly. So we cannot call it a cause and effect, a causal relationship, but we can definitely say that there's a high correlation between children who have uh, chronic ear infections and a later diagnosed auditory processing disorder. Okay. There are a number of, there's just so many great questions coming <laughs> in. This know. is really tough. But uh, there are a number of people who have asked, expressed concern and asked about how to go about getting a qualified, appropriate evaluation. They said, you know, they, they think that they've either experienced an improper one, or they don't know where to, where they're located. They don't know where to turn to try and find a qualified, a professional to evaluate. How do, how would you recommend going about pursuing that? Right. So, um, depending on where you live in the country, different areas, different um, states, different counties within states, different school districts deal with um, the diagnosis of auditory processing disorder differently. Um, I'm in New York, um, and um, many school districts here, are, um, parents are overwhelmingly saying, I need my child to be evaluated. I think this is what's going on. Um, and many people are learning more and more about 
auditory processing disorder and um, will then try to send the child to the audiologist for it. It's a not an easy diagnosis to um, get the school to then have the child do that. Um, but the speech pathologist at the school could be evaluating from their end to look for things that are affecting their language development because of auditory difficulties. If the parent goes privately, um, then the first place to start would be local hospitals. Hospitals very often have a speech and hearing um, uh, area, and then it's whether they have a pediatric audiologist, and if that pediatric audiologist does APD testing, which is called CAP testing, central auditory processing. Um, another way to find out, um, you know, is go just going in the um, phone book and looking for audiologists and making calls to different audiologists and asking, do they give this kind of evaluation? Um, and Another way, in the back of my book, I list all the uh, speech and hearing associations in each state. Um, but you could also look that up online. The American um, Speech and Hearing Association, ASHA, American Speech and Hearing Association, is also a great resource um, by um, going on their website and trying to locate an audiologist. Um, they might be very helpful in finding one in your state um, uh, for, to, for doing that. Um, we have, um, you know, many of the big cities do have facilities at their hospitals. I know Boston, uh, New York, Los Angeles, the, you know, uh, Chicago for sure um, has centers that do that kind of diagnosis. Okay. Uh, question here from someone having to focusing on special education and to begin with, just a question is, for the purposes of special education, can, can APD be classified as a hearing impairment? Oh, it's a very hard one. We, we cannot call it a hearing impairment because the first test the audiologist does when diagnosing auditory processing disorder is a hearing test. So children with hearing loss cannot be diagnosed or tested for auditory processing disorder. Now, this is confusing because we know children with hearing loss have difficulty processing the auditory signal, even if they're wearing cochlear implant, using the cochlear implants or hearing aids. But we cannot test them and diagnose them with auditory processing disorder because they have a hearing impairment. That being said, we are only diagnose auditory processing disorder on children that pass a hearing test so that we cannot qualify this as a hearing impairment. We also cannot qualify it as a learning disability because it affects the way the child learns, but it's not in the arena of learning disabilities. So when we put this on an IEP, let's say, at a school district, it usually goes on, we'll say, auditory processing disorder, and it usually goes under mixed receptive and expressive language difficulties. But it's truly, that truly is not an accurate way of, of describing it. But right now, you know, we're not in the DSM-10, uh, you know, for diagnostics. So right now, it's still a murky area of how do you list this on an IEP? How do you discuss this um, as um, what type of a disability is? So right now, it's a standalone. But um, 
on the IEP, it may go into more of a language um, because it's affecting the language. Okay. We've got a number of questions that came in on that specific subject mm -hmm. in terms of accommodations and yes. IEPs and people asking about what you say they have they, they, they have an IEP meeting coming up. What should they be looking for? What should they be asking for in terms of accommodations? In okay. Sure. So if a child has a diagnosed auditory processing disorder, then the list of um, then the list of accommodations would have come from the audiologist that would be part of their report. But if we have a we suspect that the child is having auditory difficulties or the speech language pathologist says it's a language processing, but they're having difficulty with discrimination or they're having difficulty learning their um, sounds for reading, or they're having difficulty um, hearing the differences between things. So it's all according to what they're describing as the child's difficulties. Child's having difficulties following step directions. The child uh, can't recall a sentence longer than X number of words based on their age. So we start seeing that we want to build into accommodations into the classroom. And one of those, the most often is, of course, strategic preferential seating. Strategic in that preferential seating means that the child is front and center to where the teacher is standing and teaching from or sitting and teaching from because we want the child with this auditory difficulty be able to get see the teacher so that they're reading facial expressions so that they are using any kind of lip reading that they can get from that information and they're getting clearer auditory information. We have to remember that if we say the S sound and the child sitting in the front row, they're going to hear it a lot better than the child sitting in the back row because of the way acoustics of the classroom. So we want the child that preferentially, strategically preferentially seated. We want noise reduction in the classroom. We want the teacher to be very, very careful about the amount of noise that's in the classroom. It's so interesting that I've been called into a number of schools just to walk around the school and into classes to see how noisy a class is, you know, um, because the, the extraneous noise from the classroom is going to affect that child. The child with auditory difficulty should not be um, seated next to the open door where classes change or near a pencil sharpener or near if, there, uh, if there's a fish tank in the kindergarten class or, you know, with that's bubbling or near a fan that's making noise. So we want to think about noise and access to auditory information. Um, many classrooms will put the tennis balls under the um, on the bottom of the uh, chairs so that the scraping of the chairs, it quiets the classroom down if we put those tennis balls or those hush-ups at the bottom. So trying to think about the acoustics of the room, where the child is sitting. The most valuable intervention that the teacher can use with a child that's having auditory difficulties is when they give directions, when they give information, they, um, they should definitely do a communication check. And in my, you know, what does that mean? So it means that when the children go back to their seat to start working on their work, and we know that this child may not have gotten everything that we have said. And this is a very useful strategy for parents also. We don't say to the child, did you hear me? 
because they will always say yes because they heard something. And we don't say to the child, did you understand me? Because they will always say yes because they understood what they heard. It might not be what was said. We say to them, what are you going to do? Or what did I ask you to do? Or what did I say? Because what we want the child to do is repeat back to us what they thought they heard us say. If they're correct, we say, great, go. If we say, if they say something different from what we say, we then have a chance to repeat it. Okay. And so checking in with kids that we know are having difficulties when, when we, directions are given, following step directions, um, all of those things are so important that the child knows that the teacher is looking out for them and the child and the teacher is knowing what the child may not have gotten right. We don't want them making mistakes on their work because they misheard it, you know, but they would have been able to do fine if they heard it correctly. So these communication checks done in that way are the most important intervention that a teacher and a parent, quite honestly. So if we say, you know, I want you to put on your shoes and, and, um, and get your school bag and the child goes, gets their shoes, but they don't have their shoe, shoe uh, their school bag. We can start saying at home, um, get your shoes and get your school bag. What are you going to do? The child says, I'm going to get my shoes and I'm going to get my school bag. And we say, great. Um, if we're giving too long in, um, directions, we have to shorten those. But these are the kinds of modifications and accommodations we want to make for children while they're hopefully getting some kind of intervention to actually work on the actual breakdown that they're having in skill. Okay, thank you. Uh, we're running out of time. <laughs> I there know, so, I there know. Could so go many on. We could go on forever, I know. Questions. I know. We're going to have to have you come back for no other reason than to try to get to all the, questions. All the questions that we to. didn't get to. Uh, question, someone asked a question, is your book available on Amazon? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, other question was, do you have a website or... Uh, yes, I do. Yes. Uh, we didn't give the we didn't give the URL. Oh, I'm sorry. So it's www.listenlovelearn all one word dot com. www.listenlovelearn.com and there's a short video, a three minute video, and um, information on my book and information. Um, I have some blogs there, and um, and people can contact me through the website if they'd like. There's a parent inquiry form. Great. Or schools, or schools that would want that this kind of information. I do a lot of schools presentations all okay. over the country. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you, Lois, so much for your time. It was incredibly enlightening and very helpful. Uh, folks, before we sign off, just want to, again, thank our sponsor, Play Attention. Visit playattention.com. With that, we thank everybody again for coming, and we'll see you again next week. Bye now. For more Attitude podcasts and information on living well with attention deficit, visit attitudemag.com. That's A-D-D-I-T-U-D-E-M-A-G.com. 